What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 11 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Brent Crawley, and we have an incredible conversation. Jumping into parenting, discipline, how to deal with bullying, how to be truly present with your kid, even in a failure, helping them unpack, discover, and grow in their maturity as a human being. Enjoy meeting my friend, Brent. All right, what is up, my friends? Super stoked to be hanging out with my friend Brent, already smiling, laughing, having a good time, and now we're just gonna record it, talk fatherhood. Brent, how are you today? Dude, I'm good, man. I'm super excited. I love talking about being a dad, and I am a dad in a lot of weird ways, so I'm super excited to just discuss what that means, man. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what the weird ways means. Now, I will have to just say this right now, if you're watching this, I have this framed quote from Brent from an event we were at. We were at an event with Rise Up Kings, and it was the toughest thing I've ever done. Probably. It was tough. But Brent came up to me, put his hands on my shoulder. This is what kind of dude Brent is. After I shared some stuff in the group, and he said, Ned, I'm noticing you be less full of crap. And it meant so much to me in the moment that I had my EA put it on this little piece of paper with Brent's face so I could see it every single day. So Brent, thank you for that gift. Oh, man, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. You know, people in my circle have consistently been telling me that I need to learn to just accept gifts, whether it's Mm. someone saying thank you, or whether it's someone being willing to buy my lunch. And so Mm. instead of giving you some long narrative, I'll just say, man, you're welcome. Yeah, it meant something and I needed to hear it. But today we're here to talk about you and fatherhood. So I'm going to just jump right in and ask you some questions. How old do you find yourself today? I mean, in like physical, like earth years, I think think I've been around, I believe my body physically has been around the sun 35 times going on 36. What's really interesting about that is I feel like a teenager in fatherhood, meaning like, I feel like I'm stepping into that adolescent stage of fatherhood where it's like, dude, I can actually do things way bigger than maybe I'm actually built for. I've just got this courage Mm. that I believe the Lord has given me when it comes to being a father. It's sort of like when you were a kid and you're finally hitting puberty and your mom says, hey, don't jump off that wall. Don't jump off that. Mm. You're going to hurt yourself. And And your dad goes, no, let him jump. And he goes, yeah, just jump. You're like, yeah, I could do it. And I just jump. I'm at a stage in my journey of fatherhood of like, I'm willing to sprain my ankle Hmm. trying to make plays. You know what I'm saying? And it's cool. What's giving you that freedom? So is it a sense of like, you've made it in your career and finances aren't a problem. You've made it in your marriage and things are good. Your kids have made it to a certain age. What would you accredit this stage to? Mm, So much more. And I think so much better, better than that. Yeah. I think for the first time in this season over the last year of my life, I have so much more confidence now that my kid's journey with God has nothing to do with me. Mm. I mean, their life that they spend, their time they spend here, what I provide for them, that has a lot to do with me. Right. But who my children are becoming, I really am at a place where I'm like, wow, God, you are absolutely working in their life in more powerful ways than I can. You just ask me to be present with them. You ask me to be dad. You ask me to protect them and look after them. But you're also asking for me to not have my whole identity be completely caught up in whether my kids go experiment with drugs one day or whether my kids get some girl pregnant before they're married. I need to live my example and be a testimony into my kid's life and then pray that God really comes in swiftly and whatever he works out in their life is what he works out in their life. It's allowed me so much more freedom. That might sound really interesting to a lot of people, but there is so much freedom 
in knowing that God's impact on my son's life is the most important thing and that I am just here to sort of be a piece in that story. It's provided a lot of freedom, man. Like, And it's given me a lot of courage to let my kids take risks, not experimenting with stupid things like you're under my roof. So there are things that you won't be permitted yeah. while you're yeah, here, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for example, like, yeah, dude, like you want to jump off that wall? Like, go ahead, jump. Yeah, well, you, what you if can I, do it, do it. Go ahead. My identity isn't wrapped up in whether or not you blow out your knee or sprain your ankle. Like that's just life and God's working on you, man. So go. Yeah. Okay. But let me ask this, because as I hear you say this at first glance, or maybe someone's hearing it and it's seeming like less responsibility, but it seems as though it's the same level of responsibility, right? And you're going to coach your kid. Hey, well, think through these things, but I'm not going to tell you what to do or tell you not to do it in this Hmm. circumstance of jumping off the six foot wall. But it's really about your identity and your value as a man, not based on their results, which is a little different than if we're talking about business or things like that. Clearly, the results are based on how we took responsibility. So is that where the freedom lies? Is that you are 100% living in responsibility of looking after those placed in your care, but you're less tied to your value being about the results? I think it's more of, I believe that in order for me to have an impact on my kids that drives results, Mm. it begins with my relationship with the father first. Yeah. So so then what does that relationship look like? So what does your relationship with the father practically look like if you were to just explain it in 60 seconds? Okay, so Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, meaning the devil, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they love not their own lives, even until death. So how I resonate with that is more people will come to the kingdom, not through me preaching at them, but through me living out my life in testimony of what God has done for me. And then that will in turn lead other people to Jesus. It's not me preaching at them. It's not me correcting them saying you did this wrong. It's me saying like, even to my son, Hey son, I know that this is what you want in your life. What the Lord has shown me, son. What the Lord has done in my life, son, is ABC. What the Lord has done in my life is, hey, be very careful getting into a romantically intimate relationship with a woman before you feel like you're ready to and don't feel pressure to do it. What the Lord has shown me, son, rather than me saying, hey, son, like I'm your dad, take it from me. Don't do this. It's more of what the Lord has done through me. What the Lord has shown me is this. So then go back. Tell me that verse again. They overcame him meaning the devil, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they loved not their own lives, even unto death. It's not about the things of my life and the material things and my own fleshly life that I love. What I love so much is the testimony of what the father has done, the blood of Christ that saves me. And I'll love that enough, even if it means the end of my life, even if it means my life coming to an end for the sake of my love of those things and not preserving myself, but loving the Lord and Jesus and my testimony to the very end of my life. Yeah. Even if it means the end of my life, right? Yep. I want to tie two things together and ask you. So in your statements right now, it's like shown me the words are coming out about what God has done in you, blah, blah, blah. Really good. But I want to ask this. I recently asked you what was the most impactful book you read and you told me leadership and self-deception getting out of the box, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm in the middle of that book. That book is incredible because it's about others focused. And this verse you just shared is, yes, through Christ, through the blood of the Lamb, yes, but they love not their own lives. So my question to you is, this shift you've made into higher confidence, this shift in the way that you're parenting, is this because you're less self-focused? Like this book, this verse, they love not their own lives. This is less about like you're, yeah, I'm sure you jump on a grenade and die, right? But dude, it looks to me that you've chosen a path, at least from the time that I've known you, to die every single day to your own shit, your own selfishness for the sake of others. And I think that that may be that piece of like, you aren't living for what's best for Brent. I mean, obviously you got to take care of yourself so you can Mm. show up, but you're living for the sake of others, dying to yourself every day for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of being a father. So what do you think about that? 
I would shift just a tiny piece of that as far as my own perspective. And there are so many people who live their lives for the sake of others. And in a lot of ways, a lot of what I do is for others, right? Like, I mean, look, I don't work the crazy hours that I work at times for myself. I mean, I do those things for my children, right? Or my wife. And so there are things that I do for others, but wiping that slate clean and just kind of starting fresh. For me, the shifts that I've made of not really focusing on myself isn't per se so that I can just shine the light on the people that are within my care. It's more of like, I learned a while ago that I need to make more. I don't need to make room for God, but I learned that I was sucking up all the air in the room. If I can say that, right? Like the Lord was saying, Hey, I need you to stop and be quiet for a bit so I can come in and work. Yeah. Right. And so it's for them, but by way of making room for the father. It's not just because I know that through my own selflessness, I will impact them. It's like, no, by laying myself, putting myself aside, it creates more room for the father to come in and then work on their lives. So when we make more room for God, what is it that he comes in and says to us? In in, in my perspective, if I'm making more room for him, what I tend to find is he comes and tells me, Ned, I love you so much exactly how you are. Keep being you. You're such a good son. Like, I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And then he also says, look at my daughter. Let's say my wife, look at my daughter. Like, she means so much to me. See her the way I see her. See these kids the way I see her, which makes it they're less objects in my world, the world of Ned. And they're more Mm. like I get to play whatever role they might need in that day. Right. So it becomes less about this Ned is king of the universe when I make room for the father and I'm present and less controlling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I resonate with that a lot. I've recently and I over the last year, maybe I mean, I've adopted really just this heart of like when I'm praying over my kids at night, I actually mean this, like maybe at first it was sort of just a practice of shifting my heart. Mm -hmm. But I really believe that my kids are a gift to me. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard anymore for me to thank God for my kids, my being the operative word like that's hard anymore. I am praying over my kids and I'm like looking at my daughter who I love and I'm thinking, Lord, this is your daughter. You just gave me permission to like raise her for a while. Thank you. I really am at a place where I resonate with that now. It's like, these are your kids, God. What's the shift there though? So if this is my daughter, okay, there is no God. This is my daughter to take care of versus this is God's daughter that he's entrusted me with. Obviously, I'm emphasizing some stuff, but there's a difference in how I show up for that. What is that difference? I would say that the difference comes to what God's story and what God's purpose is, right? So it was the verse Romans, like all things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? So the shift now is, I primarily in this life want to be able to exemplify to my children what it means to love the Lord with all my heart and soul. And if they can model that, then they'll go impact the kingdom. It's all about God's kingdom. All of it is about God's kingdom. That's the beginning, the middle, and the mother freaking end is God's kingdom, period. And I knew the biggest challenge for me, and dude, if I can just maybe segue us a little bit, because this is where it really comes home for me. You know, a few months ago, we have a split family, right? And so me and my wife, we Brady bunched it. And it's really unique scenario. And my son, who is 13 years old, was dealing with like some bullying at school and there was Mm. drama and trauma and stuff that was like really building up in him. And he was having a really difficult time working through it. And for anybody that has any of that kind of stuff going on, like there's a book called The Homecoming that you can read. But anyways, that really helps people understand like trauma and how we respond to it and especially how our kiddos are going to respond to it. But anyways... So my son was having such a hard time just responding to that. And he was taking some of his really harsh, aggressive, angry, toxic feelings home. And we didn't know what was going on yet. Mm. And so he was coming home and there was some behavioral patterns that were showing up. And we were trying to figure out what was going on by just like sitting in it with him. And you'll hear me talk about sitting in the cave and we could talk about that in a minute. But we're really kind of just trying to be present and sit in the cave with him. And a lot wasn't really coming out. And then out of nowhere, he tells this story and makes up this story about my wife, his stepmom, and about how there's some possible abuse going on, just like some really bad interactions between him and her. And we later learn it was made up. He confesses that it was fabricated and the story didn't really line up. I mean, we kind of started realizing pretty quick there was something wrong with this story, but he made up that there was something going on. And it was his way of saying, I want to just be at my mom's house. 
and I don't want to come to your house anymore, dad. And then later we realized that he did that because at his mom's house, he felt more freedom. And at his mom's house, he wasn't asked, hey, how was your day? It was more like, you poor baby, I'm going to go kill that kid who's beating you up. It was more of like, hey, I'm going to just defend the living daylights out of you. We're not going to talk about anything. We're going to kind of stay away from the emotions. And his mother would get really inflamed in those emotions. And he felt like... He was able to maybe parent himself a little bit better through that situation. And so he really wanted to go there. That was his hiding place, right? Mm. So he kind of just wanted to go there. So one of the hardest challenges for me was when I had to look at my son who was 13 years old. I didn't have to, but I chose to look at my son who was 13 years old. And I could have said, hey, look, we've got a parenting agreement. There's legal documents that say, hey, you're at my house this week. You're at your mom's next week. So get in the car. You're coming to my house. Let's go. This is where you belong this week. I could have done that. Mm. But instead, what I did was I looked at my son and I took that moment to just pause. I had a friend give me some good advice. He said, hey, you know, the story that your son is telling or that he did tell, we now know isn't true. But your son has some really intense feelings right now. And dude, that is true. Yeah. They might be fabricated in something that is not true but those feelings are freaking true. He's a big ball of feelings right now. Can you be present in that? So I sat with my son and I said, hey, if you want to be at your mom's for the next three weeks, if you want to be at your mom's for the next three months, if you want to be at your mom's for the next three years, I just want you to know I love you. And I'm not here to force you to be somewhere where you don't want to be. Because I knew that going to his mother's house, grabbing him, throwing him in the car and driving him to my house against his will was not going to make the situation better. Mm, It wasn't. And that was the hardest decision I had to make as a father at that point was saying, I'm going to actually let you go down this road at 13, right? Because like legally, I didn't have to. And then within seven days, he wanted to come back to our house and he Mm. wanted to talk to us. And he wanted to actually share with us that when he was at his mother's house, he actually felt like he wasn't getting any of the support that he needed to work through the problem. And then he knew that when he needed help, he wanted to come to our house. He went to her house to feel like he could wallow in his problems and to feel like the world revolved around him. But then when he realized he needed help, he came home. This is all part of what I was talking about, Ned, was just this idea of I'm not going to just step into my kid's life and just try to just bring correction all the time and just try to be like, no, dude, you have to do it this way. And I'm your dad. Trust me. I'm older than you. I know what to do. It's more of like, can I just sit in the cave with Mm -hmm. my son in that empty, hollow, ugly, cold, damp, wet cave? Can I just sit in that with him and just be present? And then just share with him what the Lord's done in my life, knowing that I'm making more room for God to come in and work. Mm. Dude, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And the one thing I want to point out, and you can have a response to this, is for parents to hear, your kid wasn't 17. I think we might have swallowed this better at 17. But I would say that the problem with waiting to give that sort of room and freedom at 17 is there's typically other scenarios at play as well or potential like substances. I know that's possible at 13, but less my point in bringing this up is for us to not look at our 10, 11, 12, 13 year old as just a kid who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. The reality is, do you remember when you were 13, bro? I felt like I was on top of the world. Clearly now I'm 40 and I know I don't know shit still, (laughs) you know, as (laughs) you get older, you know, but the point I'm wanting to make is leaving room at those middle school ages for him to face the mirror himself, I think is really incredible for us in the way that we view our children, especially at those ages. I mean, even dude, my 11 year old daughter is my youngest right now. And if she's given the opportunity, I mean, she can blow up and be a 11 year old, but I could blow up and be a 40 year old. You know what I mean? Like I do mm-hmm. stupid things and get annoyed. She's so wise, bro. Like last night before bed, we had her say the prayer and I'm like, dude, her prayer was incredible. Like she's got a connection to God in a different way than I have. And you could just hear it from her soul when she says her nightly prayers. So just kudos to you that at that age, you're still giving that room and any dad listening have a voice in those moments. Because I do think, and maybe you can give me, I'm not trying to be masculine, feminine, but I do think sometimes it's harder for the mom to give that space. And for the dad, you know, you're in a unique spot because it's your kid and it's from another marriage, whatever. I don't know, maybe you have a bigger voice there. But for dads to speak in, especially to our sons at that age and not let mom just coddle them. 
Mm. Well, I believe that the overactive coddling comes from a mother that believes that she is the single source of protection that their kids have right now. Now, what's really interesting is, and please understand, I said, I think like I don't have the secret sauce recipe. There's no secret sauce to declare exactly what's going on with every woman who chooses to coddle their kids. But what I do know is this. If there is a woman in a home that is looking at her child who is running to his earthly father or her her earthly father, if they see their child bolt to dad when he walks in the door from work and they see the child bolt to dad when the child slams their finger in the door and they see the child bolt to dad when they really need advice then mother is able to, in a sense, really have that vote of confidence where she can draw back a little bit and Mm -hmm. watch the magic happen. And then she can come in when nurturing really does need to happen too. And she can really fill that space in a way that us fathers can't too, right? I mean, there's a reason why they refer to the man as the breastplate and the woman in the home as the breast, right? Like the nurturer. Mm -hmm. We're the breastplate. She is the breast. She's where the nurturing comes from. We're where the protection comes from. Like we're designed to take the shrapnel. And so us being designed to take the shrapnel for our kids, think of it like you've heard the saying, learn from my mistakes. You hear people say that often, right? I went through this life with the Lord building testimony in my life through all the stupid crap that I did as a youngster and even the stupid crap that I did up and through my late 20s and early 30s. But there was testimony being built and I was taking shrapnel. And now as the breastplate, I get to then say to my son, hey, I'm not going to just tell you what to do. What I am going to do is share how the Lord has worked in my life. Let me tell you about what I did when I was 20. Let me tell you about what I did when I was 30. Hey, let me tell you about a fight that me and your mom had where I think I was wrong. Mm. You know, and let me help you understand what the Lord has really done through me and through that situation. And uh, son, I just I pray you do the same. So it's modeling that example. So as the breastplate, dude, like we take the dings. Can yeah. we give that feedback back to our children as we're growing them? And I believe, I believe fully that if there is a mother that knows that the breastplate is out there protecting, she'll naturally fit into her organic mm. role of the nurturer. Mm. That's good, man. We need to hear that. So dad, step into your role and give space for your spouse to step into hers. Let me ask a couple clarifying questions, then I'm going to stay on this path that we're on. How many years have you been married and how many kids do you have? So I'm currently on my second marriage. My wife, Renee, and I, we've been married for just over five years. We celebrated our five-year anniversary about a month and a half ago. So it's been a really awesome, awesome journey, man. So I have five kids now. My two sons from my first marriage, Gabriel and Grayson, so they're 13 and 10. And then I've got my son from my wife's first relationship. Travis, he's 12. So he kind of fits right in the middle of the two boys and they have such a cool connection. You know, they're brothers now and they really enjoy it. They really love it so much so that anytime there's a shakeup in schedule and they're there, but the other one isn't, it's like the house isn't the same, you know, Mm. there's like that disappointment that their brother's not there, you know? And so that's been really awesome. It's been really awesome to watch because in the beginning of that blended relationship in the beginning, we were super conscious of the fact that like Gabriel and Grayson really needed one-on-one time with me as they were adjusting to this new relationship. Mm -hmm. They still need one-on-one time with me, but they needed it, especially then as they were adjusting to new kids coming into the home again getting attention. But now when they're home and Travis isn't there, they're like, man, this sucks. Where's Travis? So it's great watching that brotherhood really bond. And then we've got my daughter, Eliana, my adopted daughter. So I adopted Eliana. She's now six. And then my wife and I brought a purebred into the family. So we had a baby. She's not a baby anymore, man. She's four, Gwendolyn. She is the most spunky, personality-driven thing the poor moms. Let's talk about this for a second. My four-year-old daughter ran into the living room where my wife was sitting on the couch and she put her hand on her butt and like on her own butt. And then my wife looked at her and said, what are you doing? And my daughter farted on her hand and then rubbed her hand on my wife's face. <laughs> and it's just like freaking parenthood, man. Like if that doesn't sum up parenthood, I don't know what else does. If somebody has three older brothers. Dude, no joke. So that's our life. That's our life right now. Like our daughter farting on her mom. Yes. Like our kids breaking bones and us loving the Lord in weird, awkward ways. 
Mm. So what's a weird, awkward way you, you love the Lord? One of the really uh, weird, awkward ways that we love the Lord is, I wouldn't actually say that this isn't really one of the weird, awkward ways, but some of the things that we like to actually do that we find to be kind of unique is we try to thank God for some of those normal things that you wouldn't normally mm. thank God for. Like in that moment when my daughter farted on her hand and then smashed it into my wife's face and we couldn't believe what had happened. My daughter walked off and like all the kids were in a bad mood that day, except Gwen. And Gwen was like running off, like laughing her rear end off. And we took that moment to just be like, God, thank you so much that that child's happy right now. Mm. Like so happy that she wanted to do what she just did. Right. And so we try to like relish in those moments where people might not find appreciation, but it's like our kids are healthy. Our kids are happy. You know what I mean? We have this plate that we made. And it's the your special plate. We went to a place where you throw clay and stuff. And we made this plate, this weird looking plate. It's like green and gold. And it says you're special. And every day in our home, we dish out dinner and one person gets that your special plate. And then during dinner, that person gets to pray. But then we all talk about what we love about that person because they've got the your special plate. And every day someone else has the your special plate. Hmm. Um, That's just cool. try. Yeah, just trying to like really appreciate the kids more than life gets so busy, you might forget to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to be intentional about that, creating the space. So with that in mind, you hear your story, you know, married, kids, divorced, remarried, adopted, another kid, lots going on. At what point did you embrace fatherhood? At what point did you go, this really matters? My role matters, regardless of the messy chaos that life is going to just bring. These kids have been placed in my care. When did that become reality for you? What did that look like? I think it was when the time came for adopting Eliana mm. to like really happen. I think that when that time came, it really was like, choosing fatherhood instead of fatherhood choosing you. Because yeah. I mean, we all choose fatherhood in a way we decide to go do the deed. You know what I mean? And then yeah, but we're not usually we'll thinking about, pregnant. yeah, this right. is going to make me a dad. I remember when <laughs> my wife and I got pregnant with Gwen and we've got this really good set of friends that they got pregnant right at the same time. And I literally like everyone was trying to get pregnant at the time. And we were like, called my friend and was like, all right, dude, tonight we're going for it. And like we got pregnant at the same time. And that was really fun. So there's that intentionality. But like, mm. I remember when Eliana was coming into my life and it was like, OK, this isn't me and my wife making love and then a baby comes and we would be making love with or without the baby. But the baby is a plus like this is how God blesses our family through the love we make. This is different. I have a choice right now. I yeah. can choose fatherhood yeah. right now or not. That was when fatherhood for me became like a blatant choice. That's cool. And I decided to yeah. choose fatherhood. And so for me, that was where things really made a hard shift for me. At the same time, reflecting on how my boys from my previous marriage, they deal and have to tolerate some pretty significant instabilities on the other side. It really kind of started coming to light around the same time. And I had to, mm. I had to really step into being like, okay, my kids absolutely have to have a dad that they can trust a dad that loves God, a dad that's willing to let them freaking mess it up and screw up and still love them and not get angry at mistakes, which I'm not perfect at, by the way. But I try to tell myself, like, don't get angry at mistakes. Don't get angry at mistakes. Love them through it. So right around that time of Eliana being adopted, which was four years ago, it really started hard shifts, man. Mm. That's super good, man. Yeah. And making that choice, right? Because there's this lead up to it. It's not just we have sex and then yeah, yeah. Oh, you're pregnant. I mean, pretty blatant to go. We're going to adopt a baby. We're going to bring them into our home. We're going to take on this responsibility that somebody else chose not to. You mm -hmm. know, there's some heaviness that comes with you're taking on a responsibility from somebody else's decisions. Yeah. And it's, it becomes a blessing for you, right? I mean, this decision that these people made sometime, someplace becomes a blessing to you. But now you're stepping into like, and that's the essence of fatherhood. So with that, what does it mean to be a father? What is the role of a father? Because you're stepping into this girl's life who the dude who was supposed to take responsibility and be this role in her life chose not to. So what is the role of the father? 
I, I man, I, I believe that depending on who you ask, that is such a subjective thing, subjective question. I think that that's going to change. If you were to ask me as far as how I personally reflect on it, I mean, I really look at the father's role to us. I look at so many places in scripture where God is just seeking us, just seeking us. And he seeks us to be present and he seeks us to know our pain and he seeks us to know our shame and he seeks us to be present in there and he seeks us to come to repentance and he seeks us to it's just god is constantly constantly seeking and waiting and seeking and waiting so for my sons i came to this realization through watching a dear friend of mine in his horrible pain of his son turning 18 and never responding his text messages mm-hmm. and never responding to his phone calls and not wanting to come over anymore. And this guy's horrible pain through that coming to this realization that it's actually like we don't seek our children to love them in hopes that they will love us in return. That's not why we should. Our job and our responsibility on a daily basis is to provide our children with so much evidence that we love them that no one can refute it. If someone was to go to my kids and be like, you know, your dad doesn't really love you. My kids, even now at a young age, would say, well, okay, but I've got this example and this example and this example, and I've got 12 examples of this week yeah, of how my so, father has shown me he loves me. So then if our job, so the role of the father is to love their children, what does it look like to love your children? That's where things have shifted for me a lot. For me, the best way that I love my children is sitting in the cave with them. And I talk about this a lot. My kids are going through just like emotional ups and downs, you know, and man, show me a family where their kids aren't going through emotional ebbs and flows. What I came to this realization was like, the more I can be present with my kids through what they're going, like Travis, my stepson, right? He was having some issues and him and his mom were just really struggling through homework. And he was just, emotionally just like, you know, and we just were like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, nothing. I freaking hate today. And he stormed upstairs. And as he's storming upstairs, he's trying to stomp holes in the floor (laughs) of the stairs, right? Like dumb, 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 dumb. And that's kind of like a trigger in our home, right? It's kind of like what you're doing is you are projecting yourself through the home so that everybody will know that you're mad and you disapprove. And so for us, it can be kind of a trigger at times. So in that moment, I saw my wife get really tense and the Holy Spirit really just came over me, really calmed me. And I was able to look at my wife in that moment and say, hey, I'll go talk to him. And I went upstairs and I just walked into my son's room. I knocked and said, hey, man, can I come in? He says, yeah, it's my stepson, Travis. So he's 12. And I walked up to his chair and I think what he was expecting was for me to be like, dude, you shouldn't be acting that way. Like, I think he was really anticipating me coming down on him. I had that moment of clarity where I grabbed a chair in his room and I sat down and I looked at him and I just said, hey, man, you okay?" And he said, no. And he goes, today sucks. And I go, yeah, what sucked today? And then he just bursted into tears about how he was at school today and his teacher, he was trying to do what he was supposed to do. He got in trouble because he was doing the wrong thing. And he really honestly was trying to do what he thought he was supposed to be doing. He was Mm. trying to be doing the right thing. He was trying to be following the rules, but he missed the mark. And then he got in trouble and he was embarrassed and he just starts crying in his bedroom. And he was like, it just really freaking sucked. And I don't know how to do my homework now. And I wanted to ask her for help. And then I felt bad and I didn't ask her for help because she, I just gotten in trouble and I felt ashamed and I didn't want to go ask her for help. And then I got home and I don't know how to do my homework and mom's mad. And then he kind of just starts going and the neighbor's dog barked all night last night and I couldn't sleep. And I tried to put my headphones on and he goes, oh, everything just sucks. It was like 10 straight minutes of my son just letting it all out and me just being there with him. And then he looked at me and he goes, did today suck for you too? And I said, yeah, man, some things suck today. And he wiped his tears away and he goes, what sucked for you? And I was like, dude, man, I stubbed my toe on that stupid coffee table downstairs. It freaking sucked. And then I ended up having to fire somebody and that sucked, man. And we just shared. It was just me going and sitting in the cave with him and just being super present to the point he felt he could be who he needed to be in that moment, like his natural self, like today sucked. How many of our kids don't feel like they can come to their father or their mother and be like, hey, can I talk to you about all the areas today just sucked? Yeah. Like that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind of like, what does it look like being a father? And then also like being a protector. 
I just want to recap what you just said, because I think that this is really important. Then we're going to come to protector. But I asked you, what does it mean for a father, the father to love you? And then now you're going to reflect that to your children. I think a lot of times as dads, we feel like it shouldn't feel so messy. Life shouldn't feel so heavy. There shouldn't. So we're like chasing this piece that's really control everybody. Just don't share your shit. Don't share. Let's just feel good in the house. That's all we want. There's a verse today we read as a family about sharing each other's burdens. Perfect. It's like Colossians 3.13. I could be wrong, but somewhere in there about sharing each other's burdens. And I was talking about as a family, how we share each other's burdens. But going back to this, I just want dudes to hear this. If you want peace in the storm, not control, what Brent did was sit down and say, hey, I get it. He was being, he was seeking, he was knowing, he was giving his son a voice and he was hearing him. You were interested in him. You weren't interested in a solution. You weren't interested in him learning a lesson. You weren't interested in just making them get along. You were interested in him. Mm -hmm. You were curious about him. You took time to know him. And when I think of love, love is patient, love is kind, but you can only be patient and kind if you choose to know somebody's story. Yeah. And that's where I talk about sitting in the cave. We all have that cave, even us as adults, when there's Mm. those things that bring shame, those things that bring anger, frustration, where we feel like a victim, we go back to that cold, damp place where the story echoes off the walls. And it's like this place, this dome of shame, this dome that I don't like, but for some reason I keep going back to it, right? Like a dog that returns to his vomit. We've got that cave that we go to. The question would be like, what would it be like if instead of trying to fix your kid right now, if instead of trying to give your kid advice right now, if instead of trying to correct your kid right now, what would it be like if you just went into their cave and sat with them? Mm. And adults too. I look at my wife and I can tell she's in her darn cave or, okay, leadership and self-deception. She's in the box. So if my wife's in the box or in her cave, but we'll use the box example, sometimes I'll ask myself and I'm not a pro at this, but I'm trying to get better at going to my wife and saying, hey, is there room in that box for me? Can I come in? Scoot over. Instead of being like, yo, you're in your box being like, hey, can I come in? I really feel like the father doesn't draw us out. His spirit draws us out of the box through his love with us, but he seeks us by coming in. Yeah, his goal isn't to react and just get us out of the box so that there's peace. His goal is he'll come join us in the box if we'll let him. And that love, that desire to know is the very thing that gets us out of the box. Amen. Just like your choice to crawl into the cave with your son and be like, yeah, dude, that sucks. I get it. I get it because I also stub my toe. But let me ask this, because sometimes I find that as humans, if you said, Ned, I stubbed my toe today and it sucked. Sometimes, and maybe this is like being in the box, we one up each other with how crappy my day was. So we can sometimes fall into this like, oh, you stubbed your toe. Well, see, there's maybe the difference. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. So maybe there's where the difference is, is I'm not trying to relate to you. I'm trying to show how much harder my day was. What is your thought on that? Because I don't like that. Yeah, no. Well, so keep in mind, like, if I hadn't been present with my son sitting in the cave with him, right, then my son likely would not have said to me, hey, hey, did your day suck? How did it suck? Because mm. he inquired. Yeah. He like, became curious about you because you were curious right. about him. Bingo. Right. So then I resonated with him because he invited me to. Mm. So that's the challenging question. How often do we go seek to resonate with people when they didn't freaking ask? Mm. Dude, oh, yeah, we didn't earn the right. We didn't earn the right. Yeah, definitely. Right. You know what I mean? There's so much beauty in someone inviting you in to come resonate. There's so much beauty in that. And there's so much BS in our forced attempts to try to be like, oh, yeah, dude, like Mm. I've been there. Here's the thing. In that moment, he felt alone. He Mm. felt alone. You heard him. You heard him. And then he invited you to make him not feel alone. Really, there became a connection. Because you guys were connected through, you both had a day, right? In any day, there's good and messy. And so then he moved from being alone to being connected to a father who just loved him, whether he was in or out of the box. Amen. Or the cave. Yeah, in the cave, yeah. So dude, we could talk forever, bro. We have about 10 more minutes. The rebel and create question I ask typically is what are you rebelling against and what do you hope to create from that? I think your response was the cave. Just tell me the cave. Tell me the cave. I think we get it from your story, but. Yeah. 
I mean, the cave simply gets summarized as in, if you've read Leadership and Self-Deception, the, the cave isn't based on that book, but that book also depicts it in a similar way with some differences is like you're in the box, right? And everybody else is out of the box. Well, the cave is like, this is my life and this is the shame or the baggage or the things that I don't like. And we know that outside of the cave exists, but outside the cave seems so foreign to us Mm. that it's scary. And it's just because like we're terrified of what we don't know. And so outside the cave just seems so foreign to us. And so there's this process for me of like, it's not affirming. We have such a toxic culture that wants to affirm people in some of their shameful or toxic beliefs. Like they wants to affirm them and elevate those things. And instead going and sitting in the cave with your friend or your wife or your child isn't affirming that Mm. the story that they have is true. It's like my friend that had said, hey, the story that your son has in his head isn't true, but he has feelings and that is. And what would it be like if you just sat in that with him and lamented if you threw some ash on yourself as well? And just sat there with him in his hurt and in his shame and didn't say, it's okay, I love you. Didn't say, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, uh uh-huh, ooh, ooh, yeah. Like, none of that shit, right? Just was like, what would it take for you to just go distinction. Yeah, to just go be freaking present with him. The last thing in the world I want my kids to ever say is that they didn't feel like I was present with them. And coming back to present is like what we talked about before. Being present isn't being physically in the room. It's being less focused on what you're doing is impacting my day. I wanted to go mow the lawn, but you and your mom are in a fight. So you're pulling me from mowing the lawn and I'm in here dealing with you. That's not being present. Being present is nothing else matters. I'm here. I see you. I choose to know you. You matter to me. Yeah, well, then, like we know each other from the Rise Up Kings community and the Rise Up Kings community, we have kind of a lesson that we teach about the three kings and there's the lover king, the warrior king and the careless king. We won't go too deep into the warrior king for right now, but the lover king and the warrior king, there's two really big distinctions. So the careless king, the careless king, he is concerned about how what's going on with you is going to affect him. Mm -hmm. The lover king is concerned about how what's going on with you is going to affect you. It's not about him. So to repeat that, the careless king is concerned about how what's going on with you will affect him. The lover king is concerned about how what's going on with you is affecting you. The story is about what's going on with you. And can I be present enough for you to not be alone, but know when to draw back appropriately so that the Lord can do his work? Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you said at the beginning, creating that space as well. And I think that's where sometimes walking into the cave or in the room and not saying anything is a really a great way to leave room for the Lord to speak to them, right? Because you're not in there trying to solve it. You're just in there with them. And I think just that presence of your being there can be really helpful and healing to create space because then people don't feel alone. Dude, before I ask my final question and just so good connecting on fatherhood, Is there anything we didn't talk about that you would be bummed, you know, in like an hour? You're like, oh, I wish I would have brought up X, Y, or Z. Hmm. I don't know, man. I mean, I think that one of the really fun topics would be how do we discern disciplining our children? Like, Hmm. how do we discern disciplining our kids and what does discipline actually look like? Are we knowingly disciplining our children in a way where it's like my kid can only make it through this form of discipline, not like physical discipline, but this is a form of discipline that is forcing God to come in and work on my kid rather than my kid being dependent on my thoughts, my beliefs, my ideals, how I feel. I'm the one who put him in his grounding and I'm the one who's going to take him out. Are we disciplining our children in a way that is almost launching them into spiritual maturity. I am of the belief that we parent our children through however they mature and through that maturity, they make decisions. We do not parent our children through their decisions. We parent them through their maturity and through however they mature, that maturity will launch them into making whatever decision they make. So are so do you have we, an example disciplining a kid? Do you have a story? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's more of like making a discipline and being able to stick with it because we have a father that keeps his word all the time. So I have a lot of stories on how it's gone wrong and how I'm not a good example of the father. Like, hey, if you do that again, 
if you do that again, you are going to be grounded for a week yeah. in your room, like not coming out. Like you will not get out of your room except for to go to the freaking bathroom and eat food. And then you're in your room for a week. And then it gets to a point where six hours later, it's like, wow, that was totally extreme overzealous. That was wrong. And now I either follow through with this overly harsh punishment or I break my word. And then we made some agreement with our son that like, if you are late, you're missing homework. If you're missing schoolwork because it became a toxic problem, if you're missing schoolwork, you have anything that's not turned in, you are allowed to come home. You are allowed to eat. You are allowed to color, draw, write. You're allowed to play chess. You're allowed to read, but you are not allowed to have any electronics. You're not allowed to play games with your siblings. You have to play by yourself. We had like a lot of really extreme rules. And what ended up happening was... We launched our son into this perpetual depth of like, I have too much missing work. There's no way I'm going to get out of it. Mm. And the semester is going to be up in two weeks. And the amount of work that I have to do, there's no way, even if I did three assignments a day, I wouldn't get all of my missing work done by the end of the semester. So I'm just going to submit to the darkness of the rest of this semester. And it sent him into a freaking black hole. And then we had to reflect. It was like, boy, we didn't really think about that or pray about that or even model off after like what the father would have done in a situation of disciplining our kids. So it's more of like learning through all of these mistakes of how we did it wrong. Our discipline wasn't out of trying to love our children in the direction where we're kind of nudging them towards spiritual growth. It was more of like, hey, this needs to hurt so bad you don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which, man, dude, it's so hard being a parent. We've been learning. My oldest is 17. Now it's like really learning to respond, not react. And then to say, you know what, I need a day. I need a day to think about this and then come back to you. And then in most situations, I think what we're seeking when there's something, a failure that's happened and there needs to be some sort of discipline is what's the restoration? What's the responsibility? And then was an agreement broken? You talked about agreements. And then what I've also found is like, dude, a lot of times the natural consequences of people's decisions is like heavy enough. It's enough. Yeah, dude. And you go... Do that. I mean, I don't need to tell you that sucked. Like you feel it, you know that yep. that sucked. So for me to just layer on something because I feel like I'm supposed to doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're gonna have to deal with that. And that's rough. Now, I will say holding our kids to accountability, you know, and maybe this is to each his own. But here's just a quick story for you. One of my daughters, you know, got a cell phone. And, you know, we move here and try to make friends. And, Sarah had some mama intuition about it and went and checked it. And there was just some language and some conversation that just wasn't representing who she was. So it was like, all right, you're going to write letters to these people. If you agree that this isn't how you want to be, write letters to these people, deliver them, apologize. And then obviously you're going to go without phone. Just give yourself some space. So there was this accountability of I'm going to own how I was acting in the dark, put it out in the light acknowledge it. So that was something that there wasn't a direct natural consequence. So we did have to create something that we felt took responsibility and created a restoration. Mm. Yeah, I think there is a slight, well, there's a big resemblance to typically how the father, the father doesn't call us to repentance to go repent. He calls us to repentance to come back in alignment with him. Mm. You know what I mean? Like what comes to mind as you're telling this story is like some of the things we'll tell our kids is, for example, hey, everybody, you have your base chores and you have your extra chores. Your extra chores are chores that you can do in order for you to earn extra things. Your base chores are chores that you have to do because you freaking live here. So those are like the baseline minimums. But when our kids mess something up, one of the things that we've been adopting is like, hey, you can come back in alignment with us by executing some of these things. but I'm actually not going to force you to do those things. Mm. I'm not going to force you to do those things. What I'm going to let you know is you're out of alignment with us. We're not going to shame you. We love you. We care about you, but you're going to be missing baseball. We've got some fun things planned. You're going to have to sit that out. And by the way, like you do not have to do these three, four, four things. 
But if you were to do those three or four things, it will get you back into alignment with us. Now, we still love you. We still care about you. And so you don't have to earn your way back into our love. That doesn't go away. But coming back into alignment with us is going to take some what of like a repentant heart. Yeah. Yeah. So we, and, and I believe that that's what God does. Like God doesn't stop loving us, but in order for us, us to get back into alignment with him, repentance is necessary. Yeah, no, that's good because the punishment isn't you did this. So I'm doing this. It's if we operate in the community, this is how the community operates. And I think that's what people miss on like the 10 commandments is the 10 commandments. Isn't like a list of rules. It's if we want to live in peace with each other, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. You know what I mean? Don't murder his cow or whatever. Obviously those are the things that are going to set us out of alignment as a community. Exactly. If you were to do though, because it's don't do these things, because if you were to do those things, you are not in community with your brother. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like right. obvious, but then we're like, oh, this is rules. Anyways. All right, bro, dude, love it. Want to honor, respect your time. Final question, legacy question. Imagine 30 years from now, you're 65 and you are peering into the homes of your children. You're seeing their lives be played out. What is it that you see that puts a smile on your face knowing Brent showed up day after day and knocked down dominoes of being the dad he wanted to be? I see my sons and daughters having careers that they find joy in and having fun instead of ones that surround themselves and how they can make the most money. Hmm. I see them having fun. I see my kids loving their children and inviting their children to like make mistakes and being able to love them through that. When I was going through my divorce, I walked into my mother's home and my mother and I are very close. And my mother looked at me one day and it was a toxic situation. And my mother said, you're not happy and it's not fun to be around you. Mm. And I told my now wife, Renee, there's going to be a day where our children come walking into our house and it's holiday season, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, whatever it is, they're going to come walking into our home. And we're going to be able to tell based on how their face is radiating, how their life is going. And I said, I don't care what my kid's freaking job is, as long as it's moral. I don't care what my kid's doing for a living. I don't care if he runs a freaking taco truck next to Newport Beach and he's catching the surfers as they're done crushing a wave. And now he's selling them tacos. Like, I don't care what my son is doing. But when my son walks into my home, if he's got that big, bright smile on his face that says, I love life. Yes. Yes. Then I'm super good. I'm super good. So that's what I want to see if I was to like be able to like have that telescope into my kid's life. Are they radiating joy? Yeah, radiating joy. I love it. Brent, thank you, brother, for being on the podcast, for talking life, for being transparent, for the way that you are continuing to pursue life yourself and growth so that you can love your wife, your kids, and anybody who crosses your path well. Keep doing what you're doing. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Likewise, brother. Appreciate you, man. And I love you, bro. We'll see you. All right. Peace. What an incredible conversation. I so enjoy Brent, the way that he shows up, the way that he carries himself. Love the story of being in the cave. This guy has already, outside of this podcast, influenced and inspired and helped grow me in my own journey of life. So just big old thank you to Brent for the conversation today and the continued wisdom, knowledge, share, and conversation. Dudes, as you can tell, like listening to this, it is important that you and I and other dads are on a growth pattern discovering who we are, how important our role in our home is, and the world would look and feel different if more men showed up in their identity to love, lead, serve, guide, provide, and protect. This is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. Please check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. I have three online courses right now. If you're a brand new dad, the intro to fatherhood. If you're a dad and you're just trying to figure it out, the Discover Fatherhood course. And then once you've completed one of those, I have the 90-day course helping dads think through their 18-year roadmap. If you haven't already, if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, please write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Mm-hmm.